Welcome back to Chapter 2 of Ultimate Fugitive. Who was Jocelyn before he picked up a Frisbee? Here's Ida. Jocelyn Mary Show was on the most wanted list in Woodstock, New York, for car theft, arson, and armed robbery, stealing 20 k from a bank. He was living as a fugitive 3,000 miles away in Eugene, Oregon. To unravel the mystery of the armed robber turned good guy, I looked in many places. I requested records from the Woodstock Police Department, trial transcripts, and the easiest, typed in Woodstock Ultimate into Google search. Bingo. I found a video. Good day, sunshine. It shows players running barefoot or in tennis shoes, some even wearing jeans. Players are not organized. They are loosely guarding each other with no offensive or defensive strategy. All signs point to hippie ultimate, including the soundtrack, the classic Beatles happy song. If Jocelyn played here, Eugene Ultimate might have been a shocker. Even though Eugene has a reputation as a hippie town, we play serious Ultimate with cleats, athletic gear, and cones. Don't get me wrong, we still mess around, but I haven't seen bare feet on an Ultimate field in quite a while. Suddenly, the video shows a tall, shirtless, brown-skinned dude jogging by. Was that Jocelyn? The guy had 20 pounds on the Jocelyn I knew from Eugene. I wasn't sure, so I sent an email to hello at woodstock.org. I got a reply. Hello? Hi, Mark. It's Ida here. Hi. Mark Bernard, the current Woodstock Ultimate Coordinator, has known Jocelyn for years. Well, gee, I'd I'd say he uh, came on the field in the early 2000s. It's not a very big game. Woodstock's a pretty teeny town. Mark says everybody liked playing disc with Jocelyn. He'd bring his buddies to play, and sometimes a girlfriend would come watch. Jocelyn attended parties. He drank, and there were times when his drinking got out of hand. Five years of Woodstock police records show cops had responded to a number of incidents when Jocelyn was in his early 20s, mostly revolving around drinking, noise violations, reckless behavior, public intoxication. I mean, he definitely had a problem with alcohol. I remember being at a bar, um called the Pinecrest, a police car showed up and they let him out of the car like completely like staggering drunk because they just thought he'd be safer at the bar than wherever they had found him. In Eugene, Jocelyn never got into trouble. I learned from interviewing Eugene church members that Jocelyn did drink, but it never got out of hand. This type of behavior in Woodstock was completely foreign. Why was Jocelyn's behavior in Woodstock different from Eugene? I needed to speak with more people from Jocelyn's past and visit the place that helped cultivate this bank robber. I bought a plane ticket. We hope you enjoy our four-hour and 40-minute flight to New York. Welcome. After a red-eye flight from Portland to New York, a three-hour time change, and a two-hour drive up the Hudson River, listening to local radio... I finally arrived in Woodstock. 
One person I knew how to talk to was Lanaya, Jocelyn's mom. I knew from talking to the church folks that Jocelyn was close to her. Oh, hi. 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 I, um, nice to meet you. I'm coming, coming. Nice, oh. nice to meet you, too. <laughs> I, I, we don't wear shoes in the house. Oh, that's that, fine. That oh, okay I don't use you. I don't wear shoes in my house. Okay, good. How are you doing? <laughs> Jocelyn's parents' home is a converted 1805 Dutch barn. It has vaulted ceilings and a wide open floor plan. Family photos, a large dining room table, and a cozy couch fill the main room. You can see from the window, looking into the backyard, a large grass field sloping down into a pond big enough for a dock. The same pond that was searched by the local sheriff's department looking for the over 20,000 stolen. But right now in the hot sun, the pond looks inviting. Can you swim in that pond? Well, the kids used to. Yeah? Just for a little while until the, the snapping turtles that big. She held her hands two feet apart. Wow, big snapping turtles. Big, big snapping turtles, and then they got scared. Lenaya and I go outside and sit on the back porch. It's a nice summer day. Sunny, get, but not too humid. Too hot, we could come inside, okay? Okay, thank you. And if you want anything more to drink or let me know. Okay, thank you. Very nice So where did you guys live before this place? Before Woodstock, we lived in uh, Manhattan on the Lower East Side. Lanaya and her first husband, Michael, were part of the reggae scene in New York City. Michael played with a couple of different bands, including this one, the Liberation Posse. Lanaya and Michael met at CBGB's, an iconic New York City bar. I lived in Jersey, met Michael, and um, moved into Brooklyn and lived there for about eight months. Then I moved in the Lower East Side with Michael. They got married, had two sons soon after. Jocelyn was their first. Family life was good for a while. But then, uh, you know, we had a very rough time. He got involved in crack. By the time Jocelyn was a toddler, his father was dealing with a bad addiction problem. And Lanaya said Michael started hitting her. One day, things got out of hand. See, because at one point he almost did kill me. He had his arm around my neck and he was choking me. And I was like, please let go. And everything went gray. When, I, when that happened, I just said to myself, so this is my death? And then he let go. Lanaya showed me a picture from the early 2000s of herself. She had wild brown curly hair and bright blue eyes that twinkled. Those bright eyes seem to have faded over time. Her long brown hair is now dreaded. It sits piled on top of her head. She says Jocelyn was young at the time, and then he may not have witnessed all the abuse but the abuse was too frequent to be avoided. So he saw stuff, you know, and he heard stuff, and I'm sure he was devastated by the split. Lanaya ended up leaving Michael. She met someone new and moved to Woodstock. She got remarried. They started having children immediately. We had three kids in three and a half years. So there was tension as, as time went on. Lanaya had a bustling household. Her attention was spread thin. Jocelyn and his little brother had to compete with three younger half-siblings. On top of that, Jocelyn didn't get to see his real dad. 
Lenaya felt bad at first. She said it was too dangerous for Jocelyn to be around his drug-addicted dad. By the time Michael was clean, distance and Lenaya's anger kept the two separated. Jocelyn lost contact with his father. Jocelyn was young and one of the few black kids in his grade school. He initially was bullied, and I think, I think his race definitely had something to do with stuff. Lenaya says that Jocelyn started acting out due to being bullied by other predominantly white classmates. In third or fourth grade, things started to get out of hand. And he brought in a knife, but it wasn't a little, it was a big knife. I don't believe he was going to use it. That's when it really started happening, like stuff started happening. Just a couple of weeks before the knife incident, Jocelyn's elementary school went through an academic assessment. He was ranked gifted. After the incident, they reassessed him. They took him from gifted to genius and put him emotionally disturbed. Just things just started snowball, you know, just kind of snowballing. During Jocelyn's junior year of high school, he brought a homemade smoke bomb to school and threw it into a crowded cafeteria. Lanaya said the smoke bomb wasn't meant to hurt anyone. It was designed to get the kids to leave the cafeteria for a water balloon fight outside. Nonetheless, the principal expelled Jocelyn. Soon after being expelled, Jocelyn got caught for breaking and entering. Yeah, he broke into the uh, youth center. Lanaya said he stole $300. The youth center had the money saved for a dance. The Jocelyn I know from Eugene mentored teens at the church. I couldn't imagine that guy stealing money from a youth center. But I'm beginning to see a person accused of robbing a bank. By this time, 17-year-old Jocelyn was struggling with drinking to the point of blacking out. Jocelyn was already on probation. Lenaya tried to convince the probation officer to let Jocelyn go to rehab. The probation officer insisted on seeing Jocelyn in person first. Lenaya, stepdad, and Jocelyn loaded it up into the car and headed to the town of Kingston, 20 miles away, to meet the probation officer. I was sitting there waiting while he visited the probation officer. The probation officer took Jocelyn to the back office. It's getting long, and we're like, where is he? Jocelyn didn't come back. They took him, and they took him to, you know, to jail. The probation officer had a different plan. This is not about rehabilitation right now. It's about punishment. The state of New York sent 17-year-old Jocelyn to an adult correctional facility five hours from Woodstock for stealing $300 from a youth center. And it wasn't even a violent crime to be. I mean, he was terrified. I went up there and it was, it was horrible. Jocelyn stayed in grown-up prison for a couple of months. Then his lawyer got him accepted into a special boot camp program for youthful nonviolent offenders. After successfully completing the program, six months later, Jocelyn left with a high school diploma in hand. He was free except for probation. Life started to improve. After completing probation, Jocelyn decided to move to New York City. He lived there for a couple of years. He worked as a nightclub bouncer, did odd jobs. Then he moved back to Woodstock. And then he, he came back up. I'm not really sure why he came back up. 
The 25-year-old Jocelyn moved into an apartment with a friend in downtown Woodstock. The apartment is by shop selling tie-dyed clothing and peace signs. But things weren't as smooth as right after boot camp. Jocelyn started partying again. So did his new roommate. Jocelyn's new roommate, Drew, moved his stuff into the apartment and then took off for a party that night. But he never came home. Drew got a ride with a friend that had been drinking. The driver drove the vehicle into a tree, ejecting Drew. He was killed. Jocelyn reacted by bringing the party home. So Jocelyn opened up that apartment. She just said, anybody who wants to come over anytime, you want to drink, hang out here, you can sleep here, you don't have to leave, just stay here. And it became the center of just like partying in Woodstock. Neighbors called the police for noise violations four times over the summer. The apartment, nicknamed the zoo, became a watering hole for Jocelyn's friends. The summer ended with several businesses in the area being vandalized by a group, including Jocelyn. For the next two years, police continued to respond to fights, drinking, and noise complaints until 2010, when drugs almost ended Jocelyn's life. Because he actually flatlined. He died. Jocelyn was hanging out with a friend and overdosed. Guy he was with, and uh, he heard that Jamie was at somebody's house. Jocelyn's brother. His friend panicked. And so the guy brought Jocelyn there, banged down the front door, put him on the lawn, and, like, drove away. You know, Jamie found him. Called them, you know, 911, and they came and revived him, Narcan him. Narcan is used to reverse an opioid overdose. Because he was already, you know, dead. Mark Bernard, who played Ultimate with Jocelyn for years, says that as drinking picked up, Ultimate became less of a priority. You know, in the times when he seemed like he was getting intoxicated more, he would come less. And when he did show up, it was in poor form. And he would he played drunk several times. Jocelyn's behavior around town was getting worse. He was abusing drugs and not showing up sober to Ultimate. The Woodstock police had seen him drunk, unconscious, and arrested him for vandalism and fighting. Could they see their bank robber in him? My name is Kevin Lane. I'm a police officer at the Woodstock Police Department, and I've been here for about 20 years. And he knew Jocelyn, professionally and personally, pretty much the whole time. I actually live close to him, um, so I've known him for a long time. Good kid. We've spoken and have a good relationship. A month before the robbery, Officer Lane responded to a 911 call. Friends had called when Jocelyn was unconscious from drinking too much. Officer Lane couldn't recall the details of this incident, and he didn't want to say anything more without getting permission from the chief of police. Records indicated that the chief of police was the cop most familiar with Jocelyn's rap sheet. I've been trying to get a hold of Chief Keefe for over a month, and was familiar enough with his voicemail to know it was usually full. Officer Lane indicated that Monday afternoon would be a good time to catch Chief Keefe at the station. I took his advice. So uh, I'm going off to talk to, try to get a hold of Chief Keefe again. About to enter the Woodstock Police Station. Um, Officer Lane. The Woodstock Police Station is a quaint white brick building on Main Street. A metal weather vane sits atop the building.
a tiny reception area. A large wooden police seal hangs on the wall. It's black with white trim. A gold crown encircles four symbols representing the arts. I was just wondering, is Chief Giff here? Uh, he is not. A thick, bulletproof glass stands between myself and the clerk. Um, I've just been trying to get a hold of him. Because um, um, I'm not sure today's Monday, and I don't think he's been in for, you know, a couple days. Try back tomorrow, maybe? I flew back to Oregon on Wednesday, so I was really hoping Tuesday would work out. You can try if you want to give us a call first. and um, But usually he's always here on Wednesday evenings uh, because of court. So, But it's not guaranteed because he stops in on Monday evenings too. So, Okay. Sorry. I never got to speak with Chief Keith. It was clear from speaking with people around town, authorities, and reading news reports that no one outside his family expected much from a black man who'd been in trouble since he was a kid. They knew him as a prankster, you know, because there was all the, those years where nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, they knew him as a prankster, not as a gangster. Prankster nor gangster fit Eugene Jawson. I'd only seen small glimpses of Eugene Jawson in Woodstock. He was close to his loving mom. He was friendly with the cops. He was a valued member of the Ultimate community. Were there other clues? Right now, I was seeing an individual that was struggling to stay sober and out of trouble. The complete opposite of the Jocelyn that lived in Eugene. Maybe somewhere on the crime spree, the good guy from Eugene would materialize and would help me understand. He was indicted on three charges. Car theft, arson, and armed robbery. I used the trial transcripts as my roadmap. First stop, car theft. I parked in front of a small single-story home. The driveway pulls right up to the front door of the house. Court records say a green Honda was stolen from this location. Keys were left in the ignition where the owner always left them. This matches Eugene Jawson, nice guy on the ultimate field, stealing a car in a way that would cause minimal damage. Next stop, barn fire. I turned left onto a weavy country road. I maneuvered around a series of tight S-turns up a hill. Just as a record stated, a dilapidated barn stands close to the right-hand side of the road at the top of the hill. The trial records say the barn was run down even before the fire, and the fire was more like a barn smoldering. There were no animals in it. Jocelyn chose a low-impact target that inflicted minimal damage I think I see more clues to the Jocelyn I know. First, no people or animals were hurt. Second, he seemed to use the same strategic thinking he used on the ultimate field. And lots of people in both Eugene and Woodstock told me he played serious chess. If the barn fire was a diversion, it worked perfectly. The few cops on duty responded to the fire, away from the bank. My last stop? bank holdup. The bank is located back in Woodstock, about 10 miles. The Bank of America Jocelyn robbed isn't there anymore. It's been turned into an upscale bar. According to witnesses at the trial, a masked man entered the bank. He had a large gun. 
He yelled at the clerk to open the bottom drawer. He threatened to take hostages if they refused to go along. That drawer had large bills in it, around $40,000. Only half that amount made it into Jocelyn's bag. The manager dropped the large bills on the floor where Jocelyn couldn't see. Before he left, the robber yelled a series of cuss words, topped off with a, have a nice day. The entire robbery took one minute. I never heard Jocelyn yell, besides hello from his bike. The stolen green Honda was abandoned about 200 yards behind Jocelyn's parents' house, on the side of a paved road. It's quiet and secluded. If Jocelyn did run to his parents' house from when the car was dumped, it would have taken about the same time as running up and then down in Ultimate Field. I don't think we saw him on the field after the robbery. Mark, his old Ultimate friend, remembers. He disappeared soon after. But after a couple of months, he came back. The authorities were eager to speak to Jocelyn. He was a person of interest for the robbery. Lanaya said that when Jocelyn returned, he surrendered his phone and spoke with the authorities. Trial records confirmed the conversation happened, but not what anybody said about the robbery. All we know is the police didn't arrest him then, but Mark remembers. Jocelyn kept drinking and fighting. Apparently, uh, had a drunken scuffle with somebody. somebody. Somebody got really drunk and was taunting him, and so he really hurt the guy. Police got a warrant to arrest the 27-year-old Jocelyn for the assault. A week later, Jocelyn played ultimate. He left with a friend. They hadn't gone far when cops pulled him over. It was right by the youth center he'd broken into 10 years ago when he was just 17 that landed him in prison. He bailed and, and ran. Uh, and they couldn't catch up with him. They said they didn't. <laughs> they said their equipment kept them from keeping up with him, but nobody's going to beat Jocelyn in and run. Mark heard Jocelyn's version of that day four years later when he visited Jocelyn while he was awaiting trial in jail. The police chased Jocelyn in cars, with dogs, and a helicopter with infrared vision through a densely wooded area. We're looking for him out in the suburbs. Well, yeah, about the suburbs of Woodstock. And Jocelyn said he was he was sliding up against houses so that his signature would kind of look like maybe he was in the house. Jocelyn took off to New Orleans, where his biological father, Michael, lived. One night, he called his mom and said he was moving on. The night when he said he was going to leave Michael's, he said, I probably won't be talking to you for a while on the phone. And I said, okay. I didn't know that it was going to be five years. From that point, he didn't call again. You know, so, yeah, there was plenty of nights just, like, crying in bed, wondering what the heck happened with him. She didn't imagine he'd wind up cooking for monks. This is Ultimate Fugitive, the story of a man trying to outrun his past. In a minute, Jocelyn's unusual refuge. 